Our program is called Truth Encounter, and we are presently studying through the book of 1 Corinthians. As the Apostle Paul brings chapter 10 to a close, he talks to us about the freedom which we should enjoy in Christ. Unbelievers should be attracted to us because of the joyous freedom they see in our lives. Let's join our study leader, Dave Wurtson, as he presents the difference between religious style and an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ. The good news is not about a religious style. It's not about culture. It's not about church. It's about relationship. And you all know that. But how quickly we fall into the old patterns. I think it's exciting. The Apostle Paul told the Corinthians in this Las Vegas-style city, if an unbeliever invites you to come over, if you want to go, go. And you know what the Apostle Paul told them? Don't sit there at the meal. And when they bring the meat, say to the hostess, was this offered to an idol? That goes across really great. Paul says, listen, eat whatever they put in front of you. Don't ask any questions for conscience sake. In other words, what the Apostle Paul says, this isn't a question of conscience. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. If you sit down at an unbeliever's table, eat what they give you. You don't have to ask them whether the food was offered to idols. Then he gives us a very important principle. Let's suppose, though, before you eat, while you're at this unbeliever's table, they say this. Verse 28, but if anyone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then what are you going to do? Paul says then, if someone asks you that, then it says, then do not eat it, both for the sake of the man who told you and for conscience sake. And then he says this, the other man's conscience, not your conscience. I mean not yours. For why should my freedom be judged by another's conscience? What is the Apostle Paul saying? Let me just put it out. You're eating with an unbeliever. And the unbeliever says to this young believer in Corinth, the, the couple maybe that's eating with their neighbors, the unbelieving host or maybe one of the guests at the table with you says, do you know this meat was offered to an idol? Now when somebody asks that question, you don't know where they're coming from. For example, maybe they're a pagan kind of like Cornelius that was moving towards becoming a proselyte to Judaism, and maybe they've got real hang-ups about meat offered to idols, and that's why they brought it up to you. Maybe they're trying to help you out, because at this particular time in church history, a pagan would have thought of a Christian as being a member of a small sect within Judaism. And so the unbeliever would have assumed that you're kosher, that you keep the kosher laws. Now, most of us would have felt it was time to give a great declaration and spell out what we really believe about meat offered to idols. We would have gone into all that we've learned. The idols, you know, there's no such thing as an idol. It's just demons behind it. The demons can't get in the meat. They just influence people. And I have Christ in my heart. We would have gone into a long, extensive discussion about our freedom in Christ. You know what the unbeliever would have felt? Oh, man, what have, what have I gotten into today? They wouldn't have understood half of that because those things are spiritually discerned. So Paul is very wise. You know what he says? Don't eat it. And you know what Paul's attitude would be about it? I'm free. I'm free to eat, and I'm free not to eat. All things to all people. 
the point is that we need to reach people. That's what Paul is getting across to us. Freedom is to live to meet people's needs. And the person that really understands freedom isn't hung up. They don't have to exercise their freedom. They can choose to act right along with the culture about inconsequential things. And so the Apostle Paul tells us, when I'm with Jews, I don't eat idle meat. When I'm with believers that are uptight about it, I don't eat it. When I'm in another situation where they could care less, they don't even bring it up, then I eat it. Now, a lot of you that are sitting here today will have a hard time with that principle because it's very hard to have that kind of cultural freedom. But you can have it. By the power of the Spirit working in your life, you can learn to separate what needs to never be compromised, like the gospel. You never compromise the gospel, the message of salvation. You never compromise morality. You don't ever compromise the statement, thou shalt not covet. You don't ever compromise the statement, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not murder. But you always compromise the food that you eat. Who cares? The style of music that a particular group of people like. Whether it's quiet worship or loud worship. Whether you wear coats and ties or whether you wear open shirts. It doesn't make any difference. You just do what is going to be able to be a vehicle in the hands of the Spirit to reach a certain group of people. And I think that's exciting. The freedom we have in Christ. Now, with this principle of when we say, okay, I won't eat it, the Apostle Paul closes the passage by reinforcing freedom again. Look what he says. He says in verse 30, If I take part in a meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced? Because of something I thank God for. He comes back in 30 by talking about the situation of eating. A lot of interpreters miss that, I think, and I think it's a very important principle. Because a lot of times, somebody will use the principle that I just taught you of if somebody raises a question of conscience, then you don't do it. They extrapolate that into a rule. And some of you have lived under all kinds of rules of you don't do this, you don't do that, you don't do that, because you don't want to be a stumbling block. And you never do it because the rule that should have been applied in just one situation becomes a legal dogmatic principle that you always apply. And the Apostle Paul comes back with the Corinthians and says that it's wrong for the Corinthians to criticize him for eating meat that's been offered to an idol with an unbeliever. Because earlier in the book, the Apostle Paul shared that that was his practice. When he was with unbelievers, or when he was with Gentile believers that couldn't care less, he would eat meat offered to idols. And when he comes on very strong, he says to the Corinthians, there was a small group in the Corinthian church, a segment of the church, that was coming down on Paul for doing that. And the Apostle Paul says, don't degrade me. Don't criticize me for a meal that I eat that I thank God for, that I praise God for. Now we close with the final declaration of freedom. We've learned that freedom is doing things to build other people up. We don't get hung up about food. We don't get hung up about the idea that evil somehow gets into things. Second of all, we have a very open relationship with unbelievers. We share with unbelieving neighbors. We go to things with our unbelieving neighbors. Good, neutral things. Not evil things, but good, solid, neutral things that we can enjoy together. We have them into our homes. 
And we don't let a critical believer that's judgmental take away that freedom. Paul clothes with a second principle of freedom, and that is the ultimate ethic of the Christian life. Everything that we need to do, we need to do to glorify and honor God. Look at these verses, very famous verses. He says this, verse 31, Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. You know, you've heard those words so much that it's lost its impact. I think I have too. When you get up today and it first hits you, it's a day, what do you do? What do you ask yourself? What are you going to use this day for? And I want to share with you a great principle of freedom. Because I think Satan is constantly trying to rob believers of their freedom they have in Christ. You know what freedom is? Some of you can't get around as well as you used to. It's hard. Every time you move, you have to evaluate whether it's worth the effort. That's tough. Is it really worth the agony to get up and get a glass of water? You know, going downstairs. Is it worth it to go downstairs? Some of you live with that every day of your life, and that's tough. Really tough especially if it blocks your purpose. It blocks the things that you want to do. You know what's neat about the purpose that the Apostle Paul gives us? You can sit in a chair, totally immobile, like Johnny Erickson, and you can do what God meant for you to do. You know what God means for you to do? You've already done a whole lot of it today. Because you might not have been awake very much, but I want to share something with you. God was wide-eyed and bushy-tailed, totally awake. You know what he was doing? He was right here among you saying, isn't this phenomenal? I created human beings to adore me, to love me, and they're doing it. And God's heart just expanded over you. He loves that. Some of you are in the pits today, and there's very complicated problems that influence your life, but I want to share with you what I just said is something that will give your life purpose and meaning. And it will never be taken away from you. No matter how old that you get, no matter how weak your body might become, or no matter how strong you might be, we can all do it. We can live, I can sit in this chair, and my heart can honor God. I can thank God. I can praise God. I can respect Him. I can rejoice in Him. You know, that's why we're here on the earth. That's why God created Adam and Eve, to enjoy that kind of intimacy with him and to express that kind of devotion to him. And the Apostle Paul says, listen, this spiritual life is not religion. It's not a question of wearing the right clothes or eating the right food or going to the right building. It's not that at all. It's praising God. It's lifting him up. It's enjoying him. We do that in a context, though, of love for our brother. Because he says, do not cause anyone to stumble. Don't cause a Jewish person to stumble or a Greek to stumble or any believers that are members of God's church, the church of God, to stumble. Even as I try to please everybody in every way, for I am seeking the good of the many. What is the good of the many? So that they may be saved. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. You know the way the Apostle Paul evaluated his behavior? What action will give me the greatest opportunity 
to bring people into the family of God. You know, this week was a marvelous example of that. I'm serious, and I want you to think very hard about this. Family, do you realize that there's probably hundreds of people that are out there across this whole area that are interested in spiritual things? They have some questions about Jesus Christ. They're hung up about religion, but they're not hung up about Jesus. They'd like to learn about him, but they wouldn't come to hear about him today. You know why? Because they drive here day after day after day, and they see a beautiful church up on a hill. You know what? They think it's your church. They think it's your group. When I was in Israel, I would go by a cultic group called the Baha'i Faith. And several times when I was in Israel, I would go by this beautiful temple complex. You know what? All around that big temple complex are high steel poles with sharp points on the end. Wrought iron, maybe 10 or 12, 14 foot fence. Immaculate grounds. I mean, it looks like the Garden of Eden in there. But you know, I would never go in there. I would never go in there because I'm not welcome. There are walls. You know what we do? We create walls because Satan gets us to stop interacting with unbelievers. That's what Paul's talking about. Breaking down the barriers. I go to a school meeting. Well, I, a group that's really trying to do something here in town. But as I look around the room, nine or ten people from our church are right there. Not cramming Jesus down someone's throat. You know, not being bigoted or angry, but being involved, caring, loving, interacting with other people. That's what God wants us to do. That's what Paul is saying. He, Paul is saying God hasn't called us to create a city on a hill. He's called us to gather together to praise and adore God, to strengthen that commitment, and then to go and get out there and mix it up with people, and not be weird, not be different, but be holy. And oh, how I pray that we would do that more and more and more. And I think that we've just begun to tap some of the resources that are in your heart that you can do for Christ, the impact that you can have in reaching people with a glorious gospel. We control our behavior Number one, to do everything to glorify God. Whatever we do, we do to praise him. Wherever we go, whatever we eat, whatever we listen to, we thank him for, we praise him for. If it's tainted with immorality, then we can't praise him for that. If it's tainted with false ethics, we can't praise him. So we turn away from those things, but we enjoy his good creation. Second of all, we're very careful not to throw any stumbling blocks before an unbeliever. Culturally, we learn how to act within the culture, the little pockets of culture that we interact with. And finally, we follow the example of our Lord. Do you realize that when Jesus Christ was here on this planet, he didn't mix it up very well with religious people? The religious people never liked him very much. You know, the guys that wore the long robes and said long prayers out loud in the public place, the guys that came to say the big prayers that everybody was impressed with. The Lord got along with those guys terrible. They hated him. You know who he really got along with? He'd walk into a town, and all the bad people 
adulterous women, adulterous men, tax collectors, what they call in old Israel the hoi polloi, the many, the people that just don't quite have it together, the multitude, the people on the other side of the tracks, they all related to him. You know why? Because he didn't invite them to come to him. He went to them. That's why he preached on a hillside. That's why he walked through the street of Jericho and looked up into a tree and called Zacchaeus down. And Satan, I believe, has worked very hard to take followers of that Savior who was walking among an unbelieving world and take those followers out of the unbelieving world and cause them to create their own city in a hill. And he does it by creating a whole lot of religious scruples about things. And he does it by causing us, when we interact with unbelievers, to make a lot of issues over things that just aren't that important. And 1 Corinthians 10 declares to us the freedom to get involved with unbelieving people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there's unbelievers that this group is going to touch this week. would ask you, Lord, that parents would not get discouraged as they realize that probably 65 to 70 percent of the parents in our culture aren't that involved with their kids. And we can scream about it, we can yell about it, or we can be parents to kids whose parents aren't involved. And through that relationship, we can mirror the life of Christ and present the gospel. We thank you, Lord, for what's going on in, in so many lives, even this week, hearing about many with gifts expressing those gifts in the secular marketplace. And we know it's dangerous to interact with the world. It's dangerous to mix it up with unbelievers. And Satan can tempt us, and he can drag us into sin. But help us to recognize that the answer is not withdrawal, but it's a deeper commitment to praising you and worshiping you and thanking you. I'd ask you that you would use the message today Father, there's some believers here that are from very strict backgrounds and they've got a conscience that's just on a fine edge and they worry, they think they're displeasing you just in a million different ways that you're really not even caring that much about. I pray that you might free them up today, that you might help them to recognize that you love them, that you are lovingly devoted to their life and you're the author of goodness and you're not trying to put a clamp on their life. You're trying to help them to live skillfully so they can be completely free. I also pray for some other believers that are living licentiously. They don't have any rules. They don't have any obligations. And they're not living for others. They're living for themselves. I pray that you might use the methods today to convict their heart. And recognize that a life devoted to self will never be a life of freedom. They'll become enslaved to the very things that they think will make them free. But I pray, Lord, for the vast number of your people that have lived a very normal life to this week and tried to do things that would honor you and praise you. And they've tried to walk closely with you. And I would pray that they would not live under guilt and obligation today. But I pray that they would listen to the great Apostle Paul, the Apostle of Freedom, and that their heart would be just filled to the brim as they recognize the great good news, the liberating message that we found in Jesus. 
And we'd ask you that we would now take that message into the lives of unbelievers we'll interact with this week. Help us to remember to be free by living for others, to be free by living our life to glorify your name. Help us to follow the example of our Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we've been sharing the last couple days about the difference between living in the world but not being of it, uh, what the Bible really means when it talks about separation from the world system and yet not separate from unbelievers. I couldn't help but think of a conversation that I had with a Christian young person that's now going to a university, but they went to a Christian high school, and uh, this young woman was sharing how so many of her friends have left that Christian high school. They felt that when they were there that they were very restricted. They felt that there was hypocrisy, that some of the teachers that were there that were telling them no, 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 in their own personal lives were doing many of the things that they were supposedly warning the young people against. And so that as these young people did go out into the next stage of their careers, they went to college, as they went out into university, they had this mistaken notion that the action is out there in the world. And this young college woman shared with me how some of her friends have committed suicide, some of her friends have gotten heavily involved in drunkenness and alcoholism. Some of her friends have gotten involved in drug abuse. And many of them have wandered away from the faith. We need strong Christian schools. I went to a strong Christian high school. It's very important, however, in those kinds of institutions that we not isolate the young people from involvement with unbelievers. I believe, as I've said over and over again on Truth Encounter, that a Christianity that becomes divorced from unbelievers will become a Christianity that becomes sick and dead and destructive because the news of the gospel is so potent, it's so alive, it's so important that we get that good news to others that don't have that information, that when we begin to create Christian communities that are isolated, we create Christian communities that become impotent and they stop reproducing. This is Dave Wurtson challenging you to encounter the truth.